and welcome to the September 3rd edition of Liberation Station. I'm your host, Chris Steiner. The, the uh, call-in number is in Pinellas. Call in in Pinellas at 727-441-3000. Toll free, 866-826-1340. And the website is theliberationstation.com. Tonight, our special guest in the second hour will be Willow Lamont, longtime folk herbalist and organic gardener. And we'll be talking a lot about how to cultivate medicinal herbs, uh, safe composting, and uh, a lot of uh, traditional ways of gardening, beneficial insects, uh, for example, to help, uh, help your garden thrive and, uh, and to help you survive. First, we're going to start out with uh, the, uh, the video that I, I sent you, Lee, there, our faithful producer, uh, called uh, Entitled Legal Immunity Set for Swine Flu Vaccine Makers. Uh, if you want to queue, uh, queue up that, that video, uh, it's a little bit of information we're going to start out with. And the question tonight, if you'd like to uh, uh, express your... Um, Hmm. Express your uh, whether it's your your faith, a uh, uh, sense of faith in the medical deities to get your shots to be up on your shots, or if you're much against the forced vaccination at the uh, at the point of a barrel at the barrel of a gun, um, or uh, quarantine as your uh, other option. And uh, there's a Florida. There's actually a, uh, they're, they're first started out to an, an Iowa uh, document, but uh, now there's a Florida document uh, of the, uh, uh, it's a template is what it is. It's a template of uh, quarantine detention. It's a quarantine detention order. But uh, first, if you have that uh, video queued up, I'd like to uh, introduce you to a uh, Great, we have that video ready. And uh, just a, a little quick uh, news clip from a Channel 5 NBC affiliate who uh, was, uh, it's detailing the, the injuries suffered by uh, a veteran. At, uh, it's really sad. It's just, uh, it's really much sadder than it sounds even uh, to see the, the transformation of this young veteran from uh, the the childhood footage of how he was bright and happy to uh, the facial features the the drooping eyelids and and uh, mouth and uh, and other other uh, symptoms that are so common with with vaccinations and in his sad story uh, if we could just uh, play that uh, for just uh, about five minutes and we'll get back into the question of would you accept the vaccination Vaccines are required if you're headed to war, but Target 5 discovered that a frightening number of U.S. servicemen and women are having severe reactions, including a young Marine from Claremont County. It's difficult right now. At a time when young men and women are dying on the battlefield. We live in a very volatile time in the military. There is an enemy here at home. And no one wants to look bad. It's not a shot from a gun. This is the worst cover-up in the history of the military. But a shot from a syringe that's leaving some U.S. servicemen and women on the brink of death. When the issue, I believe, of the use of the vaccine comes out, I believe it'll, it'll make the Walter Reed scandal pale in comparison. 
It's an exhausting three-day-a-week routine for 20-year-old Lance Corporal David Fay of Claremont County. His kidneys are failing, his military career is over, and he feels like his country has abandoned him. I can't look at my old pictures. I really can't. I start looking at my old pictures and I start crying. To understand the odyssey of David Fay requires going back in time. He was a boy who loved the ocean, but grew up amid the farm fields of Claremont County. I never missed a day at school. I was never sick. I was never sick. A passion for sports and a sense of patriotism prompted this Blanchester High School athlete to join the Marines on his 18th birthday. And I looked at every branch, but I wanted the Marine Corps because the Marine Corps was the few of the proud. From boot camp to combat training, it was the happiest time of his life. It was great. I loved every minute of it. But a case of friendly fire in the form of a syringe would forever change his life. On November 28th of 2005, David's unit was lined up for what he says was an undisclosed shot. They asked us our name. We stood on these yellow footprints and they gave us a shot. Then we got the rest of the day off. After that shot, I started swelling up. I gained 30 pounds of water. My eyes swelled up where I couldn't see. I started snoring. I developed a rash on my hand. Three weeks later, Private Fay was back in Claremont County on his deathbed at Clinton Memorial Hospital. His kidneys failing, his body so swollen it left stretch marks. I used to just pray to God, please take him tonight. As David appeared to be dying, Cindy Fay began poring over his military medical records in search of answers. The shot was never listed in his records. As the months passed by, David's uniform would hang in the closet while his life would hang in the balance. Still unclear about the shot he was given on November 28th of 2005. The Department of Defense tells Target 5, all service members' vaccinations are documented in the individual's permanent medical record. But David Fay's military medical records revealed no shot on that day. Another Marine in David's unit tells Target 5 there's no shot listed in his medical records either and goes on to say the people who administered the shot never told us what it was. My son is a Marine, a PFC David Fay. And he in a desperate attempt to save her dying son, Cindy says she called the U.S. Marine Hospital at 29 Palms, California to find out what kind of vaccine her son was given. And she says, ma'am, that's confidential. I can't tell you what the shot was. And, I, you know, I'm like, well, my son's in ICU and he might not make it right now. I said, I really need to know. And she says, well, we can't tell you. Eleven months later, David's medical records were mysteriously changed with a handwritten notation indicating the mystery shot was a flu vaccine. In the case of David Fay, nothing was put on his record. And then suddenly, flu vaccine appears on his record. Does that surprise you? No. No, we have a, a lovely term for that. We call it CYA. <laughs> That's a, unfortunately a, an SOP in, in, in the military. David is one of a growing number of U.S. servicemen and women getting sick after receiving vaccines. And this highly praised Department of Defense medical officer is mortified. He doesn't want to be identified for fear of retribution. Are there a lot of folks out there who've had severe reactions to these vaccines? Thousands. Um, it ranging on the severity from just um, joint aches and pains and arthritic symptoms to, to death.
The Department of Defense tells Target 5 it encourages health care workers and vaccine recipients to report adverse events. But the military never reported David Fay's reaction to the Centers for Disease Control and FDA. I see the way propaganda and information war is waged against America's sons and daughters and how patients are treated who claim to be ill from a vaccine. That's troubling. That should trouble America. How are these young men and women treated when they claim to have had a reaction to the vaccine? Like they're nuts, like it's all in their head. And this medical officer believes young servicemen and women are being used as guinea pigs. Do you believe that the Department of Defense is experimenting on these servicemen and women with these vaccinations? I would hope to God not, but from what I've seen, I would have to say yes. The Department of Defense maintains the vaccines are safe and effective. Those are hollow words to Lance Corporal David Fay. I'm in bed every single minute of the day. I can't eat because I throw up. I have no energy. I've been laying in bed and bedridden for so long. Four months after that interview, David has lost 60 pounds from dialysis and is determined to rebuild his body and his life. Still waiting for a kidney transplant, still waiting for an answer from the U.S. military. I beg his place. Just to get up and be without pain. I mean, just to get up every day and just be happy again. Even after everything David Fay has been through, he still longs to be a part of the U.S. Marines. David still considers himself part of the few and the proud, even though he feels the military has abandoned him. Dave Wagner, Target 5. And you could uh, hear some of the distress in the family and the and the uh, Marine, the veteran who uh, was suffering so poorly from from the vaccinations he's received. And uh, it seems universal that all these vaccinations, because of the adjuvants that they add to them, are going to cause so many problems. The, uh, the swelling in the, in the face uh, and the, the drooping eyelids. And it's just, uh, it's, it's just uh, breathtaking to see somebody suffering and their, their family uh, seems so helpless if they had only known to, uh, to avoid the, the vaccines and, and uh, stand up, perhaps. But, uh, you know, are there some of you out there who think that maybe he should have just, uh, he is just uh, suffering the, the consequences that he understood were, uh, were quite potential when he joined voluntarily, and, and therefore uh, the, he, there's really no... Uh, <laughs> There's there's really no one to blame, when uh, when we always uh, we always knew that uh, there there was so many there are so many risks involved on uh, the least of which uh, is not losing one's life. But uh, what do you think about the vaccination issue as we go on through some uh, more uh, other uh, information on this uh, another uh, another bit of information. Uh, I want to run by the, the audience uh, before we get to uh, Frank and Largo in a few minutes here uh, as we'll get his call on on the CAFR, the Comprehensive Annual Financial Report issue as it applies to uh, the double-dealing government, the second set of books that, they, uh, that the local governments, especially in this case uh, Pinellas County, keep as uh, 
and the, as they cry poor. But we'll get to that in, in a few minutes here. First, I wanted to uh, run through the news on the uh, vaccinations, uh, the, the um, mandatory vaccinations or quarantine and uh, and see what uh, what you might think about this as as we see some of the some of the uh, side effects and uh, the fact that uh, there's legal immunity for the vaccine makers. Uh, the number in Pinellas County is 727-441-3000, 727-441-3000, toll free 866-826-1340, 866-TAN-1340. The website is theliberationstation.com. And, uh, and then I want to get into some other remedies, uh, some potential homeopathic remedies. But uh, quickly here, the Idaho press release dated August 31st, uh, 2009, off of the Iowa Department of Public Health's own website I'm reading. The Iowa Department of Public Health, IDPH, has learned a copy of Iowa's facility quarantine order template is being circulated on the Internet. There's the admission right there. It is not known who accessed the, the, this document. To ensure there is no confusion on this issue, IDPH wants to make it clear that Iowa has not issued any isolation and quarantine orders for novel influenza A, H1N1 in parentheses, and has no plans to issue any this fall. So they're just telling us it was all a practical joke in one sentence, and then they're saying, no, well, it's actually a, it's a true document, but it was a, a practical joke. We just wanted to see if you were paying attention. Continuing, in preparation for public health emergencies, these types of templates are often prepared in case they are needed, but isolation and quarantine orders are only very rarely used in very specific situations. If you have any questions concerning this issue, please call the Center for Acute Disease Epidemiology, Iowa Department of Public Health at 800-362-2736. That's the end of the press release uh, where they were disavowing what the uh, Iowa... um, let me pull it up here. The Iowa facility quarantine order, which I would, if I had the time to read, I would. But more pressing matters is the uh, Florida version of this. The uh, if I you give me one moment, I'll pull that up. And uh, I have so many windows open here; it's hard to tell where I left it. Here we are. Department of Health, <clears throat> fill in the blank. County Health Department quarantine detention order by authority of chapter 381 and 252 florida statutes and chapter 64d-3 florida administrative code Uh, blank chd order number blank pursuant to the authority vested in this office by chapter 381 florida statutes and by your refusal to comply with the orders of the blank county health department you blank, insert name here, and hereby detained under quarantine in the following secure facility, blank, period. You are further classified as non-compliant with quarantine because after you are counseled about a communicable disease or unsafe condition that poses a threat to the public health and methods to minimize the risk to the public, and despite such counseling, you indicated an intent by, insert words or actions here, to expose the public to blank, fill in the blank there, all other reasonable means of obtaining your compliance with quarantine have been exhausted. No less restrictive alternative exists. You shall remain in detention from the date of this order until, insert blank date here, or until released from detention quarantine, all uppercase, by the undersigned, such determination to be made upon the recommendation of the state epidemiologist or 
state health officer. While in detention quarantine, you shall comply with all orders of the detention facility regarding your medical care. You shall cooperate with the detention facility's access to you and access to your medical records for purposes of delivering or monitoring your medical care. Other requirements slash orders fill in the blank here. Reasons for above fill in the blank there. Done and ordered by the blank county health director administrator this blankety blank day of uh, whatever month, uh, 2000. Uh, by order of the blank county health department uh, area code and phone number for quarantine review requests contact person for quarantine review requests that's a you know that's, a, that's your liaison well okay then now they tell us uh, after their their signature or their seal authorizing your quarantine should you be victimized or a victim of this persecution or victim of a, some kind of a flu, uh, you're just symptomatic and there is no diagnosis or blood test. They, that's all, that's all, oh, you didn't know that that was being run by the World Health or Organization. They only have access to the test. So if you are diagnosed with a swine flu, it's only because you might have some flu-like symptoms. And uh, that's the only, uh, that's the only, uh, if you're symptomatic is the only way that they're, they're going to uh, say that you have the swine flu. Who knows what strain it is? They're just going to call it swine flu. Now, uh, after the signature where they're, uh, as I mentioned, the county health department's uh, signature is placed or their seal uh, is put, then they tell you uh, duty to comply. This action is taken under the police power authority of the health department and your cooperation is required by law. Violation of any term of this order or failure to comply during the life of this order with the above stated directives, including any attempt by any person to enter, exit, or behave in, any, in a manner prohibited by the order, is a crime. Right to review. Upon request to the CHD, the County Health Department, this quarantine order will be reviewed on an expedited basis. Review can be initiated by a phone call to the telephone number of the official whose name appears in, on this order. Right to challenge. This quarantine order may be challenged such as through petition for writ of habeas corpus, Chapter 79, Florida Statutes, following the procedure set out in Rule 1.630, Florida Rules of Civil Procedure, uh, extraordinary remedies, in parentheses, or by petition for administrative review, Section 120.569, at sequence Florida Statutes. If you have any concerns or questions regarding this quarantine order that you wish to discuss with your attorney, please do so by telephone. Do not go to your attorney's office or break this quarantine in any way. Legal Authority, Statute 381.001, paragraphs 4, 5, and 6, and Statute 381.0012, paragraph 5, and Statute 252.36, paragraph 2, and Rules 64D-3.005 and 64D-3.007, Florida Administrative Code. Well, so I guess they got us, huh? Oh, well. Gosh, uh, so I guess if they come and tell you that you're going to be uh, quarantined if you do not take this flu, what are you going to do? Are you going to go along with all these legal authorities that say they can do this for you for the general welfare? I guess that's the clause of the Constitution that people might claim is being used, but uh, I don't see that anywhere. I just see these administrative codes that are taking away our unalienable rights. Does that disturb you that you're going to be uh, medicated 
have force medicated. I mean, they already put the fluoride and, and industrial slag in the water. So I guess this is just another medication that's uh, the loving the loving government is going to freely administer to us. What do you think? And uh, you can call us and tell us here in Pinellas at 727-441-3000, toll free 866-826-1340. That's 866-10-1340. The website is theliberationstation.com. And uh, as to the immunity by the vaccine makers, <clears throat> we'll talk about that in just a moment while I get a drink. All right. right after I take a drink here, I'll recite uh, a little bit uh, from uh, the Associated Press uh, as to the uh, as to the legal immunity for the vaccine makers. Very sensitive microphones there. Thanks. <laughs> I knew that would be heard. So <clears throat> this is uh, Iowa officials say no quarantine for swine flu August 31st. Uh, Iowa public health officials are trying to alert the public that there is no truth to an Internet rumor that the state has instituted a quarantine for the H1N1 flu is untrue. I don't know how they're calling it a rumor because they say it's right there still on the Iowa State uh, Department of Public Health's website. If you want to check the link out, it's still posted there uh, as quarantine order template. So um, I'm just skipping down a little bit. Uh, that was uh, yeah, a little bit more on that. Uh, let's see. Closing that window. We're just uh, running the show off of a thumb drive here, basically. So I'm trying to find the right, the right window here. Uh, let's see. And uh, when it comes to the uh, to the immunity, this is. Um, this is uh, in the BioShield and uh, in the BioShield um, legislation that that was passed. Let's see. Okay. Well, I have the link to the article. I'm just going to run it right back into my web browser here, and then go into some homeopathic uh, possible homeopathic uh, uh, remedies. And. Uh, yeah, it looks like this. This is a pulling. It's forwarding me to the a new article here. It still has to do with the swine flu, but we'll talk about uh, the legal immunity another time. Uh, we'll just. Um, I want to mention some excerpts from uh, on homeopathic remedies from the National Examiner. They're a great source of information. It seems a great uh, alternative media source to me, uh, in my opinion, uh, as of late. Swine flu cure used during 1918 flu pandemic. And uh, this is uh, written by Tima Vlasto, dated July 17, 2009. Most of us have recently been avoiding people sneezing on the street, washing our hands more frequently, and taking extra vitamin C to defend ourselves against catching swine flu. Though the CDC recommends Tamiflu or Relenza, there are few homeopathic remedies that have been very effective during all the major flu epidemics. Quote, in the 1918 fluid pandemic, homeopaths reported around 1% mortality in their cases, while conventional doctors were losing 30% of their patients, end quote. Homeopathy can be traced back to, an ancient, uh, to ancient times when Hippocrates found that he could cure vomiting in a sick person with an herb that actually induces vomiting in a healthy person. And it explains uh, the history of homeopathy in this article. Um, uh, just uh, some of the principles on the dilution. Um, it's an energetic uh, medicine that, uh, that relies on, the, uh, on just a small amount of the active ingredient. 
But uh, as for the flu, some homeopathic remedies uh, that one might want to have on hand are such a, uh, those such as aconitum. Nep- uh, nep- pardon me, it's uh, it's in italics here. Aconitum nepellus for sneezing, sneezing and runny noses and the sudden onset of a cold and for sore throat. Belladonna is another famous one uh, for serious symptoms of cold, flu, infection, and sore throat that come on suddenly. Uh, Ferrum phosphoricum for people with a weak immune system. Cold and flu symptoms are not vague, but uncomfortable. There might be a slight earache, running nose, and a mild sore throat. And you might ask why am I mentioning so many different, uh, and why is this article listing so many different homeopathic remedies? That's because each remedy's detail is uh, custom-made to uh, to suit the the patient and their particular their s- uh, set of symptoms. So you wouldn't want to give uh, certain flu-like symptoms uh, another type of a homeopathic remedy. Uh, then there's gel semium for fatigue and a generalized heavy weak feeling pervaded pervading the person even leading to trembling of individual parts and to he, having heavy half open high eyelids these people tend to have little or no thirst can experience chills up and down their spine and have a headache in the back part of their head uh, for a mid-stage of cold, of a cold or flu there's allium sepa and uh, that's for pr- profuse nasal discharge, red eyes, and if the discharge is burning or and irritating, they not and uh, oh, then, pardon me. If the <laughs> and if the discharge is burning and irritating the nostrils, that's allium sepa. Uh, Nux vomica is also very uh, very popular for a lot of people. Uh, relieves sneezing attacks. Natrum mariatricum. Pardon me. I'm I'm butchering all these names. I'm sure. Natrum muriaticum person has a thick clear fluid discharge that resembles raw egg well we really shouldn't really, uh, go into all these but uh, uh, if you want to look at this article it's up on the national examiner's website swine flu cure used during 1918 flu pandemic and the very last one is bryonia for body aches during the flu that are aggravated by any type of motion suggest the need for this remedy generally these people also have a headache in the front part of their head which is also aggravated by motion people with the flu who are very irritable and insist upon being left alone tend to benefit from this remedy that's bryonia so if you want to try to spell any of these, uh, if you don't have access to the web, hopefully you can, uh, if you can uh, have these written down to bring into your, your local health store. Most uh, health stores carry homeopathic remedies. And, uh, oh, and finally, I missed this one, uh, Influenzinum, appropriate, appropriately named Influenzinum. If the symptoms linger on after the flu, give a single dose of this remedy in the 30th or 200th potency that's a uh, 30 times diluted or uh, two, uh, 200 times diluted you know I see we have a call we have line on uh, Pat, uh, Pat on line one yes thank you for taking my call um, I just want to say thank you for discussing this subject um, I just uh, tuned in so I'm sorry I didn't get to hear the whole thing but um, have, did you also discuss how the government wants to make it mandatory for us to take this shot, or they're going to come and forcibly take us to a, um, a, um, a holding area? 
which means mm-hmm. you will not be able to go to work and you'll probably lose your job and lose your income and everything. Uh, um, I, I don't know. Have you discussed that? What's going on with the different states? Well, just uh, Iowa and Florida, and uh, if if we have the time, maybe um, on another show. I wish we had the time on this show, but uh, there's a Minnesota clip. Uh, I don't know if you might have heard, Pat. Uh, yes, that you just played recently? No, it was uh, where they said there was a news clip where they said that they were going to be quarantining people, and if they didn't, it's a crime, or they'll be fined up $1,000 per day right. in, in Minnesota. And, uh, Which is, that's like a communistic country. I mean, that's ridiculous. No kidding. Yeah. I mean, after all, this flu is being made in the government laboratories, mm-hmm. and they're forcing this upon us because they want to kill the majority. I had heard, I don't know how true this is, maybe you could inform me, I had heard that the flu shot was going to be in three stages. The first stage isn't going to kill anyone. The second stage is going to kill some people. And the third booster that you're going to be forced to take will kill a massive amount of people. And I had also heard in, in I think it was Ohio, they had done a test using either CIA people as, as uh, you know, the play actors or the FBI people. I don't know which one it was. But they played as if there was a, an epidemic and they were rushing in, in into the hospital and how the hospital will have to close its doors. Uh, in order to handle the situation, and, and they won't allow people in, and people will have to go home and die. Exactly, and these are these three vaccination shots you're talking about, I think were just mentioned, uh, as far as I remember, about uh, two weeks ago. And oh, really? Kathleen Sebelius, yeah, the, the uh, department, the uh, director of Department of Health and Human Services, Disservices, uh, she, you know, you can see a lovely picture on the uh, images page, uh, page on my website of her. Uh, if people didn't like the Obama picture, they're really going to love uh, Kathleen Sebelius, uh, director of uh, Health and Human Services, as, the, as Poison Ivy. But uh, she's, yeah, she was talking about these three shots and it's reminiscent of the Gardasil um, or Gardasil vaccinations that are three shots but uh, you know in, in the case of the swine flu they're they're trying to say that it's cover it's to cover all the possible variants and and so it's unprecedented that they're they're trying to sell us on on uh, that they're trying to cover different variants and yet they are classifying anybody with with flu-like symptoms as uh, or they're allowing the doctors to diagnose people with uh, anybody with flu-like symptoms even if even though they're unable to run a, a blood test they're they're able to diagnose them as having the swine flu and and that's why you're hearing it all over the news and celebrities and but do you know what I talked to a couple of people, a few people at my job, and they knew nothing. They knew nothing of this. How is it that it's supposed to be on the news and everything else, but everybody I have talked to or mentioned what is going on, they're just totally oblivious. They have absolutely no idea. They have no idea about being quarantined. They have no idea about the fines in order to force the people to take these so that they'll die. I, I I don't understand how this is being kept such a big secret. Well, I'm going to post this on my website. Uh, I just uh, found out about it a little earlier. I'm going to post what I've read of the uh, the template for the Florida quarantine order on my website. But for now, anybody can go to thepowerhour.com and go to the uh, current news. Under there, just uh, just look for it there. 
And but, the, Steve, the majority of the people don't do that. The majority of the people, if they don't hear it on the 6 o'clock news, it does not exist. Yep. And, and the 6 o'clock news... I, I, I don't watch the news myself because I'm just so disgusted with all the lies that I'm hearing or all the fluff or they don't, they don't discuss the really important issues. Mm-hmm. It's all prefabricated, prescripted, run I, by computers I, I know, and their market share is plummeting. And, and like I said, everybody I'm talking to uh, about this flu shot and, and what the government is trying to do, they look at me like I have two heads. As not to get off the subject, but uh, I was also talking to a couple of elderly gentlemen just the other day about the simple, the simple thing between condensation trails and chem trails, and these are old World War II guys. They laughed at me. They said, "Oh, I was in the Air Force for 25 years. They haven't advanced that much." And they actually laughed at me that there would be such a thing as a chemical trail and what they are trying to spray in the skies. Well, I would say to them, so I'll go to a website like Carnicom.com for Clifford Carnicom site or DOEWatch.org, Department of Energy Watch, uh, because there are Department of Energy experiments going on with various universities of the, uh, these chemtrails. It's all documented and and what they're talking about doing, and uh, it's uh, it's what was proposed in in uh, the 70s. I think it was. 1976 book, and also again in uh, 96, the the chemtrailing was was one of the things proposed by the current science and technologies. Are John Holdren, a eugenicist, and and so we have these people in our office with these in office with these uh, public servants who are or not public servants at all. They're just uh, murderers. And, and so this is all out there. This is all, uh, they're all trying to say that it's under the, the pretext of, um, of weather control or uh, global, global warming, but right. they're actually causing more global warming. Right. It's shown so, in the but global most dimming. Of these, most of these people, um, even if you hand them the documents or print, it, print out a page or whatever, hand it to them, most of the time, they'll say that it's, uh, uh, what's the word they use, um, um, propaganda. Uh, oh, this isn't true. This, well, you know, they won't believe it. But even getting back to the, the flu, the swine flu, even today, I was speaking to one person at work, and I told them what the government planned, and she was just absolutely floored. She had never heard anything like this. How can we get... The major stations, I mean, these news reporters are supposed to be, are supposed to be uh, um, researchers. They're supposed to be, uh, uh, we'll get to the bottom of things and everything. But yet, nobody touches this subject of how this, quote, flu, unquote, is, is created in the labs. And it's a mm-hmm. government plot to kill the majority of us. I mean, yeah. it's, I think it's, well, the, the, the armed forces are always the first to be experimented on because the armed forces people have no place to turn. Their families are experimented on, and they are, because there's no place for them to turn. So uh, our soldiers, uh, people who, who have good hearts and are trying to do the right thing, are being unwitting guinea pigs because the evil ones, the ones that are in control that are doing this, know that they have these people where they can't turn to anybody because if they try to go outside and, and, and try to do things while they're still in the Army or, or wherever they are, 
they'll throw them in jail. That's right. That's why they are, they're hiring foreign troops, uh, such, such know, as those. Under, kill us. Uh, to yeah, kill well, to shoot us up, mm-hmm, one way or another, uh, enslave and, us. And, and, uh, even when I mention that, I, I get people looking at me like. You know, with a blank stare. Well, tell them Operation Urban Warrior. Tell them, uh, look up the Model States Emergency Health Powers Act, Section 604, that some states have adopted. Most people don't want to bother looking on the Internet. They want to be spoon-fed, and they want to be spoon-fed through a media source of some sort. Whether a billboard is put up, which I think we really do need to start putting billboards up with the truth, because obviously our television stations don't have the hotspot to put the truth on because they're afraid of the FCC will pull their license by telling the people the truth and what's going on and what's being planned. And it's just... It's just phenomenal how many people are in the dark. Everybody I've mentioned to, they go, well, I never heard that on the news. I said, well, you won't. All you're doing is you're just planting seeds at this point because if they need to be spoon-fed, it's because they want to be brainwashed by their by the boob tube and and uh, you you just have the the information for them that they could say hey if you don't want to look this up it's your loss and that's how I I approach it is that it's your loss it's it's uh, you know I care about you and it's really uh, it is a matter of strength in numbers if we all stick together but uh, you know at the same time all I can do is is give you information and plant seeds uh, oh yeah there's there's also Executive Order 13295 that was amended by 13375 for the mandatory vaccinations. And anybody can just look these up on the government websites and see for themselves that, that uh, you know, we might have a foreign troop marching down the street one of these days uh, who is trained under something like Operation Urban Warrior. And he's going to shoot you up because uh, the local police and 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 uh, local law enforcement and uh, military, your own military uh, isn't uh, isn't is smart enough to. to to not go up against uh, the U.S., uh, the American people, or the armed uh, citizens. So, uh, I appreciate your your outrage, Pat, and I wish more people had it. Well, Pat, uh, I hope you have a great night and uh, call back in. Um, yeah, I think she, she was done, and uh, so uh, we have uh, Frank, I believe, on the line still. Uh, yes. Hi, Frank. Uh, Frank in Largo. How are you? Hey, Chris, uh, I'm doing great. Wow, what a powerful caller you just had. She uh, touched on uh, probably the most critical subject we have going on uh, besides the uh, banker bailout and the trillions of dollars that are being uh, siphoned off of our treasury. Exactly, and that's why you, you called in today, because there, <laughs> this government spending or deficit spending that we know is going on, but then we, you know, the, the inflation uh, the inflation that's that's happening, but uh, the, there are other ways that we're being we're being uh, I don't know hemorrhaging is is the right term. There's there are many uh, wounds I guess out of which we're we're hemorrhaging hemorrhaging, and that's what you called about tonight, right? Yes, they're they're bleeding us dry, and um, it's a multifaceted uh, thing. And and the the way they're doing it, the the biggest game in town, Chris, are the comprehensive annual financial reports. Most people haven't really heard of this or are are aware of this, but there's two sets of books, and uh, every every municipality and every county and every state in America keeps two sets of books. One is called the annual financial reports, which is what's 
readily available to the public and what most sources go off of, but also available to the public, but unbeknownst to most, the, the majority of the public, are the comprehensive annual financial reports. Some people call them the CAFR reports. And, and it's these reports where it shows, uh, in, until just recently, actually, uh, these reports are what are what shows where the money is really going in our government and how all the taxes and utility rates that we pay, um, the majority of it actually winds up in offshore banks after our own elected and appointed officials uh, get their kickbacks from it. So you're saying that they have these um, these investments running right now that could be um, maybe cashed in? Yes, um, in the uh, comprehensive annual financial reports um, in several areas until just recently, it shows that um, uh, governments uh, at the municipal and county and state level wind up having surpluses of uh, taxpayer money. And with these surpluses, uh, try as they might and spend it on whatever boondoggle and uh, uh, other thing they might, uh, there's always some left over. So they wind up investing these. And uh, one of the biggest investments for them are uh, in pension funds, but they also uh, invest them in uh, mutual funds and hedge funds and derivatives. And um, it is, quite frankly, the biggest game in town. They're using, they're actually misappropriating our tax money instead of giving us back the uh, overture that we pay on taxes, uh, which are, you know, set by them to begin with. They use that money to create more money that we never see, we never benefit from. And uh, and th- as this relates to a local issue of uh, of the water uh, water supply, what, what, tell me what's going on with the with the uh, the hearing on the 29th. Well, um, yeah, um, there, there's many ways that we're overtaxed uh, throughout the in- entire county, but um, one one way to um, voice out about this and to uh, make your uh, your feelings known are, are during public hearings and. According to uh, a Florida statute, every time that they have a rate increase for certain things like, say, utilities, they have to have a public hearing so that the public has a chance to to air out whatever they, they want about this. Uh, strangely enough, there's a utility rate increase that has been proposed, and uh, it's supposed to take effect October 1st, and they are allowing a public hearing on September 29th, just a few days before, um, meaning that it seems like the decision's already been made, and uh, it's just a, a mere formality for them to go through to let us speak at their uh, public hearing. And yet, uh, when you consider the comprehensive annual financial reports and what they actually disclose, they cannot be raising the rates. They actually need to lower them. And according to one local author, uh, our utilities, the uh, water, sewage, and garbage, should actually be covered by our own property taxes, and we shouldn't have to pay a utility fee uh, whatsoever. So uh, we're having this uh, Pinellas County public hearing for for raising the water rates on uh, September 29th, and yes, and what are some of the outrageous things that uh, that you'd like to bring up in in your allotted time, or maybe uh, have others bring up as well if if you don't have the 
uh, if um, perhaps there are other issues that should also or other facts that uh, should be brought up that such as uh, for example what, tell me about the um, the statistic that you saw that was just changed on the on the website uh, oh yeah um, well um, I was on uh, Pinellas County's own website uh, researching water use and, and, and what's been happening with our water lately to get, get a, a lot of good background information. And apparently in 1990, um, uh, the uh, people of Pinellas County were using 153 gallons per day on average per capita. And uh, according to what I saw on Sunday, we had whittled that down to 55 gallons per day per capita, which they touted, uh, along with that figure, was the lowest in the nation. And when I went and looked at the same page today, uh, it showed a slightly altered graph, which showed 88 gallons per day uh, per capita uh, this past year that that we've done. Uh, Still the same starting figure of 153 gallons per day in 1989-1990 per capita, but we've whittled it down only to 88 instead of 55, and no longer did I see the banner uh, or banners or information proclaiming that we have the lowest per capita usage in the country. And that's one of the reasons that they give um, for um, uh, raising the rates on the water and sewer. There's three main reasons, and one of them is lower water use or reduced consumption. Uh, the other two main reasons are the economic downturn and, of course, a rate increase by Tampa Bay water. There's a couple of other ones that are probably just as important, but these are the, the three main ones, and these are very actually very easy to knock down. And when I... When you go to speak at the public hearing, you get only three minutes, so you have to be uh, pretty concise and succinct. But I think that I can uh, knock down all their reasons for wanting to raise the rates and then bring up my trump card, the Comprehensive Annual Financial Reports, and what they disclose about how we're being overtaxed and that money is being used to uh, invest in things that we've never gave them permission to do, and uh, the profits of which go to uh, offshore banks after our elected and uh, appointed representatives uh, get their kickback from it. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and so the these uh, self-serving public servants they just uh, say that. Uh, what I wanted to get to is that you know since demand has gone down, why are prices going up? And didn't you say that yeah. there was a stat uh, a statistic that was altered within the last few days that you noticed? Yeah, you know, I'm not really sure why they did that, but if, you know, one of the reasons for raising the rates are lower water use or reduced consumption, then where's the incentive to conserve? They're, they're telling us to conserve, and, and we are conserving, and wh- whichever figure you take, 88 or 55, it's still lower than it was uh, almost 19 years ago. We've, we've been smarter with our water. We've been using less of our water. So why, is, why, is, uh, why are we getting punished, uh, seemingly, and, um, and not giving the incentive to conserve more? Uh, by, by their logic, if we use more water, then the rates should go back back down again. So that was the statistic that 55 gallons that it was on the uh, uh, on the Pinellas County um, water uh, was it utilities or what website was that? 
Well, you you got to go um, uh, on the Pinellas County website and uh, just click on utilities or water, and it'll bring up a couple of different things, and uh, those will have links to it that you click through, and it'll uh, you'll eventually reach a a blue background with uh, a several page uh, graphic. Um, presentation and worded presentation as to why they're raising the rates. The, the other uh, two reasons are just as easy to knock down. Uh, the economic downturn, of course, uh, that one of their reasons for raising the rates, that's, that's no fault of ours. We have nothing to do with that. That was all the Federal Reserve, the, the banks, and, uh, and Wall Street that are responsible for the economic downturn. So yeah, maybe they, they should pay for our utility rate increase if anyone has to pay for a rate increase, huh? Yeah, again, blame the people. It's just like, uh, well, the, sure. in the Depression, the, well, the people hoarding their money and running the banks. Oh, my gosh, we'll bl- blame the people. Oh, with these people, the subprime mortgages uh, that they signed up for, fraudulently fraudulently applied for, let's uh, blame them. Or There's so many different ways that they try to blame the people for the economic downturn. Oh, you're not spending enough money, and, and we're putting up our Christmas decorations here in July, and why aren't you spending more money? So. So, yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, as we've come to to find out, the the subprime thing was just a vehicle to attach yeah. repackaged securities and that derivative time bomb that has yet to go off. You know, I was watching CNBC uh, earlier this week, uh, and uh, they just finally announced publicly that the commercial real estate bubble has busted, and this is a much bigger bubble than the residential real estate bubble uh, that we just experienced in October with the banker bailout, and that was the whole reason for it. So are we going to see another huge bailout here looming on the near horizon, I wonder? Well, no doubt. There's always some good reason, to, new, good new reason to spend our, our tax money uh, in perpetuity. But uh, you, you're mentioning to me another thing that uh, the license was go, the Florida driver's license fee was going oh, yeah. up. From- um, just recently, uh, Monday, the last day of August, I've I've found out, although uh, it's, of course, been announced and everyone knew about, or most people knew about it, that um, the the rates for uh, getting a driver's license, for renewing a driver's license, for getting registration or renewing registration has gone up. And um, if you're coming in from out of state, like some uh, new friends that I just met, it is astronomical now. It's $200 plus to uh, get uh, your car from out of state that you drive in here with uh, some Florida registered license plates. And the uh, renewal fee for driver's license is going up from $20, or has gone up from $20 to now it's $48. Just uh, two years ago, uh, it was $15 to renew your license. Yeah, and so (laughs) that's just incredible. Yes, and and then they blame it all on... Well, this is their stated uh, uh, thing. They blame it all on an $8 billion, $8 billion tax shortfall, which when you look at the comprehensive annual financial reports, at least the ones that aren't, aren't the current, because the current ones don't have these uh, mutual funds and these um, interests and uh, these investments that they've done in them, and they've been removed by federal accounting procedure number 32. Wow. So there's another layer of protection. All this goes back 
to the 1930s when the mob took over Chicago and they developed the two-book system. They called it the Chicago 1313 method. And one set of books you show the officials and the publics, but there's another set of books, which is the real set of books. Everyone has heard about this before. Everyone knows that a lot of businesses keep two sets of books. Well, guess what? The government does, too. And they're fleecing the public uh, exponentially, uh, year by year, by using uh, these uh, methods. And, mm-hmm. and no longer can you see them, at least in these local comprehensive annual financial reports, because of uh, the removal of these accounts by Federal Accounting Procedure Number 32. Uh, but once you get a hold of that, then that's, you can get past that extra layer of protection, which I have not found or devised a way to do that yet. Uh, but it's, it's it, what's going on, and, and the, the hard evidence I have from 2002, from the 2002 Pinellas County Comprehensive Annual Financial Report, it's right there on page 42, mm-hmm. the, investment, the investment part, what I have from there, you, you, cannot, you cannot think that they have stopped doing that. Okay, well, uh, we'll be right back. Uh, thanks so much, Frank. We'll uh, talk about that in future episodes. And we'll be right back with Willow Lamont, folk herbalist and longtime organic gardener. Website is The Liberty. 1340 WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa, St. Petersburg, and AM 1350 WDCF, Dade City, Zephyr Hills, and Wesley Chapel. CNN Radio, I'm Pat St. Clair. More than two months after his death, a private burial ceremony is now getting underway for pop star Michael Jackson on the grounds of Forest Lawn Cemetery near Hollywood. Jim Murray of Inside Edition says only family and invited guests are inside. The family's been very tight-lipped about this, and as well as they should. This is a private uh, ceremony, uh, as evidenced by the fact that all of us in the media uh, have been kept outside the area around this uh, cemetery uh, for several square blocks has been cordoned off so no fans can come close. After the funeral, mourners will drive to a nearby Italian restaurant for a time of celebration. Nearly 145,000 acres have been blackened just north of Los Angeles by the raging station fire. U.S. Forest Service spokeswoman Rita Weir says now there's been a break in the investigation into the cause of that fire. Arson investigators from the U.S. Forest Service, the Los Angeles County Fire Department, and the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department have concluded that the station fire was the result of an act of arson. The investigation will now proceed as a homicide due to the deaths of two firefighters. The California woman who was found alive 18 years after being kidnapped at age 11 is getting to know her family again. Tina Dugard wouldn't say exactly where her niece, J.C. Dugard, is at the moment, but says J.C. is spending quiet time with family. Not only have we laughed and cried together, but we've spent time sitting quietly taking pleasure in each other's company. Nancy and Philip Garrido have been charged in connection with the kidnapping and rape of Dugard. Two U.S. military units will be spending more time in Afghanistan. The Pentagon announced today it is extending their deployments to allow the the units replacing them a year of home time before redeploying. The most trusted name in news, this is CNN Radio.
This is Downtown Dave. How would you like to be able to promote yourself, your business, or someone else's business for less than the cost of one 60-second commercial on many Tampa Bay radio stations? Here's the deal. You can have your own one-hour radio program on the Tan Talk Network for less than the cost of one 60-second announcement on many Tampa Bay stations. Your program will be on two Tampa Bay radio stations and will cover 4 million people in Florida, plus worldwide on the Internet in both audio and video. And you'll have a web link for your business on the Tan Talk 1340 website. We provide the producer, the state-of-the-art equipment, free production of commercials, and much more. Check it out today. Call Lola O'Brien, the Irish Hawaiian, at 727-510-7622. That's 510-7622. Call Lola O'Brien now, 727-510-7622. Call now, and your one-hour radio program can start tomorrow. Call 510-7622 for Lola O'Brien, the Irish Hawaiian, at the Tan Talk Radio network. Our guest is Shelly Jaffe, the manager of Peter Gillum's Nutrition Center at 533 Cleveland here in downtown Clearwater. Shelly, what are some of the changes that are going to be coming to Peter Gillum's Nutrition Center at 533 Cleveland? We have fresh juices, uh, fresh blended smoothies um, and salads and mostly everything is organic as well. So. Wow, well that's, that's quite a change. I mean you always have sold the nutrition products but now we're going to uh, a juice bar. Uh, and you said you're going to also have salads? We are. We're going to have a base of baby organic greens, and you can either have mixed greens or uh, spinach. And we have uh, a number of different organic vegetable toppings, um, as well as no RBST, no hormone, um, blue cheese and feta cheese, and then also a, a selection of different nuts. And those toppings are only 50 cents, and you, know, you can build a, a beautiful organic natural salad. And then we also make our own salad dressings there. Um, for a very reasonable price. Peter Gillum Nutrition Center at 533 Cleveland, Corner Garden in downtown Clearwater. Uh, check it out. Have you ever had the desire to do something adventurous, exciting, fun, delicious, or suspicious, and don't know why or when it hit you? Well, now you'll know. 4413311. Yes, you'll hear it right here on your own local radio station. 1340 AM. You can shout your message to the world. Hear it on its highest note. Get people to come to your business, enjoy your services or goods, and the good news is it's affordable. Call 4413311 for the fun of it. That's 727-441-3311. And, oh, bye. By the way, my name is Lola. So he starts to roam the streets at night and he learns how to steal and he learns how to fight and begin. Okay, so you like that mirror. You think it should stay? Yeah, a group of my friends, when we're walking to study there for the Scientology meetings, they believe that it should stay as well. Well, I was thinking if I was listening to Aficionado Radio, I'd become a Aficionado College. Aficionado Radio, broadcasting from the ghetto, Saturday morning, 8 to 10, on the Tan Talk Radio Network, 1340 WTAN. This is Wayne Walton with the RedPillRadio.com. Our constitutional republic is under attack by globalist central bankers. During the Katrina tragedy, U.S. citizens were subjected to a gun roundup and a blockade of New Orleans. Unalienable rights given by God were suspended by the globalist George Bush. Oath Keepers is an association of currently serving military veterans and peace officers who will fulfill their oath to the Constitution against all enemies foreign and domestic. Go to OathKeepers.org to reaffirm your oath to the Constitution, not to tyrants. 
The Federal Reserve is the private banking cartel, which is in charge of the U.S. monetary system. Listen to Thomas Jefferson as he gives a warning of what this institution will give to the United States of America. If the American people ever allow private banks to control the issue of their currency, first by inflation, then by deflation, the banks, which grow up and around them, will deprive the people of all of their property until their children wake up homeless on the continent their fathers conquered. Listen weekdays 9 to 10 for more details. Every hummingbird and bumblebee, every sunflower cloud and every tree, I feel so much a part of this. Nature's got me high and it's beautiful. I'm with this deep eternal universe, from death until rebirth. This corner of the earth is like me and me. Welcome back to the Liberation Station radio show. I'm your host, Chris Snyder. The website is theliberationstation.com, and you can reach us here in Pinellas at 727-441-3000 in Pinellas County. That's 727, area code 441-3000, toll-free, 866-826-1340. That's 866-TAN-1340. And tonight we have joining us our special guest is Willow Lamont, a folk herbalist and longtime organic gardener for over 35 years based in uh, Valrico, Florida. How are you doing this evening, Willow? Hi, just well, Chris. Great. Uh, thanks for joining us this evening. And and uh, you're here to talk with us about uh, plant cultivation, things such as uh, what medicinal herbs are, are uh, easy to be grown here in Florida and and uh, things like uh, composting and uh, and uh, what are some of the issues like that that uh, that are near and dear to you that you really want uh, to get out there when it comes to uh, cultivation? Well, nat- always natural gardening, always gardening with what the earth has already provided us. Um, I'm, a, as you mentioned, a longtime organic gardener, and most of that time I was in western Massachusetts, but I have been gardening organically in Florida the last few years. And I live in the eastern part of Hillsborough County, where we're blessed with lots of oak trees. And having to relearn, um, you know, some of the Florida gardening, because our soils are so poor, um, I found that enriching them with oak leaves and decomposed oak chippings was one of the best ways to build um, the soil fertility and soil structure. And it's also one of the most economical ways. Um, just about any arborist who cuts down oak um, oak limbs and chips them up is happy to drop them off for free because they have to pay to dispose of them. And if you let them decompose for a few months until you get earthworms and mycelium growing in them, they're the best thing to add to our soils, our local 
sandy soils here. Mycelium are these little white fuzzy things that sometimes you see in decaying wood and leaves. And they're the equivalent of the root hairs of fungi or mushrooms. And they provide many um, important functions in the soil. They're, they're most common in forests and woodlands, and we don't have um, mycelium in our sandy soils in the hot, dry sun, but under trees, especially oak trees, um, which is one of our main ecosystems in central Florida, either pine hammock or oak. Um, but we do find them in the oaks or under the oaks in the soil. And if you can de- uh, compost with the decomposed oak chippings as well as oak leaves after they've decomposed, they will bring that mycelium into your soil. And mycelium not only help break down decaying vegetation, but they're also the transportation system in nature of the fertility of the soil, literally into the root hairs of plants. And when you start gardening with them, you'll notice that your um, plant roots will have these little white threads wrapped around them. And they also bring beneficial um, soil microbes into plants, the beneficial protozoa, beneficial bacteria, and fungi that help build the immune system of plants, um, that help make them healthier. And as we eat, whether it's the herbs or vegetables or fruit that we grow, they are filled with a lot more nourishment, including probiotics. So working with the oaks is just a wonderful way to get this great nourishment in. Now, oaks are very acidic, but as they break down, they're less so. And if your soil is, soil is still too acidic, you can always add a little bit of limestone, dolomite limestone, to sweeten it. So that's one of my favorite things of gardening here is, is working with the oaks. And these oaks, you say they have the mycelium in them. Uh, even when you mulch them, they, they still retain that? Well, the mycelium is in the soil, but they feed more um, in the soils around hardwoods. Oh, they feed the mycelium. Um, the, the mycelium's are um, the part of fungi that are in, in the soil. The, when we see mushrooms fruiting after rains in the summer, that's the last stage of the life cycle of the fungi. Most of their lives are in that mycelium stage, which is these white threads. And they help build the soil structure, too. A forest um, has a very diverse ecosystem, <clears throat> and there's just very rich life in the soils of forest, and the mycelium is, is part of that um, that rich life, as well as those threads help build the soil structure. Now, sandy soils in Florida don't hold organic matter very long. If you add a lot of manure and a lot of compost, um, when you get heavy rains, a lot of that washes away pretty quickly. But if you use these decomposed oak chippings for mulch with all of this rich mycelium and microbial life, the threads that they form in the soil will help keep um, the organic matter from washing away, they'll help build the fertility of the soil, and they build the structure of the soil, which is called tilth. And sandy soils don't have much tilth. Um, Rich, dark humus under trees has has very good tilth. Um, But we can bring some of that um, soil-making structure into our sandy soils by bringing the oak chippings with the mycelium, and as the mycelium grow, they help 
build the structure of the soil, the tills, and then organic matter will last in the soil longer. In addition, like air pockets, which soils need, and moisture pockets um, form, and that just helps make um, for good aerated soils. The earthworms love these kind of conditions, and the soil microbes as well. In organic gardening, we don't feed the soil, sorry, we don't feed the plant, we feed the soil. So as we have good, healthy, rich soils, which we can increasingly build up by adding organic matter, um, then we get healthier plants. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the easiest ways to garden. And over time, as you build your soil, you don't have to worry as much about um, insect infestations or plant diseases. It's just like when we have healthy diets, our immune systems are stronger and we can resist um, diseases and viruses and um, you know, outbreaks of pestilence so a lot easier. So the same for the plants. Yeah, and you mentioned the probiotics in the soil uh, that uh, you're promoting through through composting, and and a large part of our immune system is in uh, the in the, the uh, good bacteria in our mm-hmm. own gut. So uh, mm-hmm. it makes sense that the same is true in nature. And a lot of people are increasingly aware of the need for probiotics in our diet. You know, because so many Americans are uh, over um, antibiotic. Uh, not only you know do we take a lot of pharmaceutical antibiotics as a nation, but we're always you know using these antibiotics, um, hand soaps, and a lot of people eat meat of cows and other um, animals that have been constantly raised with high levels of antibiotics. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just everywhere, and we're killing off a lot of the good microbes. Most bacteria in nature, as well as most funguses in nature are beneficial. It's only a small portion that are harmful to animals like us and, and plants. And living in a culture that's you know, constantly fighting this sort of germ warfare with bacteria and fungi, the beneficials are killed off too. So more people are aware that we need to be adding probiotics in our diet to help our guts, as you mentioned. And a lot of people do that through yogurt and acidophilus. But our soils I mean, going back, say, a century used to be not only much richer, but we didn't lose the trace minerals from soil erosion, and we didn't lose the good beneficial bacteria that chemical agriculture has, you know, contributed um, to the waning of the good soil microbes because the chemical agriculture kills off the the living microbes, Um, not only synthetic pesticides, but also the synthetic fertilizers kill off the living microbes in the soil. So our foods used to have the probiotics in them, but when we garden organically and really build our soils back again, we can get the probiotics through the foods um, that are grown in those living soils. And uh, you mentioned the use of um, antibiotics, uh, and uh, let me give out the phone numbers first uh, in Pinellas here. You can reach us with any of your gardening, plant cultivation, or medicinal medicinal plant uh, questions at 727-441-3000, toll-free, 866-826-1340, that's 866-TAN-1340. The all-tell free call is star 1340, and uh, the website is theliberationstation.com. Now, uh, Willow, uh, first, um, uh, before we go uh, into antibiotics, I wanted to ask you, how do people get in touch with you? 
Well, I have a small organic herb nursery out of my home here in Valrico called Willow Herbal Delight Gardens. And the phone number is area code 813-643-7285. And I can also be reached by mail at Willow Herbal Delight Gardens, post office box 269, Valrico, Florida, 33595. And Valrico is spelled V-A-L-R-I-C-O. And again, the number is 813-643-7285. But I'm in the phone book under Willow Herbal Delight Gardens. And because I sell my herbs at some of the local markets, I'm not home all the time, so I can only see people here by appointment. I don't have regular um, daily hours. And that's how I met you at uh, the Dunedin Farmer's Market. And then again, I met you at the uh, at the Sweetwater Organic Market in Tampa. And yes. you have quite a selection there. I was just so impressed to see all of the books and seeds and, and of course, plants uh, that uh, I've been buying from you. Um, I've bought some oregano and some stevia from you. And I'm just impressed by your, your knowledge and uh, propagating um, so much information and, and teaching people how to uh, how to heal with plants and and uh, doing things that uh, even antibiotics can't even uh, wouldn't even begin to affect like some of these uh, antibiotic resistant bacteria Mm -hmm. some of which are you know hospital acquired and it's because Mm -hmm. of the uh, the preemptive pro um, preemptive uh, prophylactic use of antibiotics anytime you go in for a surgery they give some antibiotics to you just uh, in case you get an infection and and that gives rise to a lot of these uh, super bugs mm-hmm. as well as as you said the, the factory farming with the meats that so many people are eating mm-hmm. but uh, what are some of the, the there are so many of these um, antibiotic resistant bacteria that uh, can actually can actually be uh, killed in vitro in the laboratory, at least uh, with uh, things like oregano or lemongrass. And yes, there's a lot of herbs that have a lot of anti-viral um, and antifungal and antibacterial properties. Um, oregano oil is one of the premier um, herbs as well as the fresh plant. Um, and there are many, many varieties of oregano. The Greek oregano is one of the strongest. It's a, it's a real strong, bitter herb. Um, but uh, studies have shown that oregano can kill up to 100% of bacteria like E. coli, strep, staph, um, shigella, a number of other um, bacterias. And it's extraordinary when you realize that our culinary herbs are also medicinal. A lot of medicinal herbs are not culinary, but all of our culinary herbs, and no matter what culture we come from, wherever people live, their cooking herbs or, or, or the plants, whether herbs or spices that they prepare their food with, are also medicinal. Um, but in terms of um, herbs that help us fight and I don't even like to use the term fight, but help us resist infections. Um, Oregano, basil, marjoram, sage, thyme, um, all have um, properties that help us uh, resist diseases. But the premier one, of course, is garlic. Um, Everywhere in the world that garlic is grown, garlic is used as a healing herb um, to help with infections both internally and externally. Now, cooked garlic is, you know, great flavoring, but the best way to get garlic medicinally is always to use it raw. And if you 
use raw garlic with lemon juice or parsley or some other fresh herbs like basil. It'll help um, with that you know, kind of classic garlic order, odor that some people don't care for. Um, but it's far more important to be healthy, I think, than to worry oh, about yeah. garlic odor. Absolutely. I've, I loved it. Uh, I've been, my mother introduced me into nutrition and uh, she would give me garlic oil and gel caps for, for my sore throat. It's so effective, but uh, it's kind of embarrassing to be sitting at the back of the class and have the teacher comment about the, who's doing this, who took some garlic or, or thought that I'd eaten a pizza, somebody who's eating pizza or whatever. But the same goes when I take oregano too. <laughs> this uh-huh. stink up uh, the the area. But uh, you know, th- these hot, th- these hot, and uh, pungent, um, uh, well, I take them in oil form, but uh, you know they can they can get to some people. But uh, they're they're so uh, pervasive. It seems like they they pervade your your senses so, so much your, and your sinuses too mm-hmm. that they which uh, is what you want <laughs> exactly. That uh, that that seems to be part of their their uh, properties to to heal. It seems. But, um, you know, chewing parsley with the garlic can help with, with any odor problems. I grew up in a Sicilian um, family, so I'm very used to, you know, garlic and oregano and marjoram as, you know, being just, you know, common everyday, everyday foods. Mm-hmm. Um, so parsley and garlic. Yes, that, that's a very good combination. Um, ginger root also is fantastic um, healing uh, plant. And in a lot of tropical and subtropical climates, you know, ginger is very common, but it's used in, in cooking, you know, many, many parts of the world. But it's one of the best anti-nausea herbs. So if people come down with a, a, a flu, um, that they have intestinal problems, um, adding uh, ginger root is very good. And there's many ways to get ginger in. Um, but if you can get the whole root in the store, um, Chop it up finely, make a really strong infusion, which is a like a very, very strong tea, but with a much greater quantity of the plant material than if you were simply making a beverage tea. And in herbal healing, when we're making herb teas, we um, simmer the plant if it's the, the tough part of the, of the plant, if it's the root, the bark, or the seed. You boil the water, turn it down, bring it to a simmer, and then add... Um, the, the root or the seed or the bark. So for ginger, we would simmer that for quite a few minutes, say at least 10 or 15 minutes. If it's the leaf or the flower of the plant, the delicate, delicate parts, you bring the water to a boil to oxygenate it, and then you add the plant matter or bo- put the water that has been boiled over the plants. Um, but you don't actually boil it because that will kill the properties too much. And I commonly, if I'm just making tea for myself, I'll put my herbs, um, if it's the leaf or the flower, in the bottom of a, of a canning jar, and then I'll pour the water over it after it's been boiled. Um, you want to boil it, though, because that oxygenates it, and then that allows the properties and the plants to be infused into the water much easier. You never want to microwave uh, your tea, and you also don't want to use hot water from the tap. You always start with cold water, that is, if you have a water filter or, like me, are lucky enough to be on a well. But um, you never want to use uh, hot water from the tap because it's going through the hot water um, heater, and in that system it can pick up some... um, Sediments and... Correct, some things that you don't want to ingest, so always start with cold water. 
but I don't recommend people ever using um, for tea or for drinking unfiltered municipal water because of the chemicals that are added. We don't have to worry about um, bacteria from our municipal waters, but it's the chemicals that are killing the bacteria. So, Absolutely, yeah. The, yeah. the, the uh, industrial slag that uh, Frank in the last hour, Frank from Largo, he called in the past to um, to mention that he, he'd have found this out in, in Pinellas County, that only uh, Pinellas Park was the only city that was not being treated with fluoride, and it's really just a toxic slag, of an uh, industrial slag of a combination of toxic metals and heavy metals, and, and that's what they're putting in our water under the guise of uh, adding fluoride. It's, we're getting more than what we bargained for. And, you know, what in, in nature, we, we get fluorine from our food, not fluoride. And sunflower seeds is a good source of fluorine. But a lot of people, you mentioned, Chris, that we met at some of the local um, markets. Yeah. Um, a lot of people who buy my plants are surprised when I tell them that they don't want to give their plants municipal tap water. I always recommend either rainwater or to filter the tap water. Um, but the same chemicals that aren't healthy for us aren't healthy for plants or any other living thing. And especially herbs are very sensitive to the tap water, and that's the single most reason why people's herbs don't live very long. And over the three years that I've been selling my herbs at market, I've had so many people come back, sometimes weeks, sometimes months later, and say, you were right, I changed the water, and now my, my plants are living. So right. for people who are struggling with keeping herbs alive, that's the single most thing you can do is to change the water. Don't use direct tap water. Yeah, yeah, I filter my water with a Ber- Berkey filter, and then I uh, treat it with some, some pearl beads uh, to reduce the surface tension and take out a little bit more of the minerals and, and um, help, uh, help the water, help the hydration for the plant, too. Mm-hmm. So Some people think that... Um, you mentioned taking out the minerals that um, distilled water is the best for plants, but actually um, you don't want to use pure distilled water for growing plants because um, there's, it, it's so void of minerals, and the plants do need some minerals. So yeah. Yeah, you occasionally, you know, a little drink, but you don't want to give them that as their only water. Yeah, I, I wondered about wondered about that with distilled water. It's so, um, so tasty, but at the same time, people warn against... Uh, not giving it exclusively or getting some kind of a supplement. Correct. Um, I'd like to go back to some of the culinary herbs that I mentioned were also medicinal. Um, um, I was talking about the, the ginger root, which is um, such a great anti-nausea, um, especially for intestinal problems, but also if someone has seasickness or morning sickness, you know, a little bit of ginger root is good. But you can also bathe in it if you're really sick, have a, you know, a, a high fever, um, you know, having vomiting, diarrhea, um, you can make an extremely thick um, batch of ginger tea and add it to your bath water and soak in it, and that'll help draw out some of the toxins into the bath water. And then afterwards, just make sure you rehydrate yourself, you know, drink a lot of teas. Um, Lemon juice also, fresh squeezed lemon in the water is also really good and has a lot of electrolytes. Um, and all of the citrus are really, really you know, beneficial. And not only the juice or the fruit, but the pulp and the seeds are also um, really um, very healthful. And the inner white pith of citrus is very high in um, bioflavonoids. So the whole, um, the whole fruit is very helpful. And when we're sick and don't feel like eating much, just squeezing 
um, as I mentioned, fresh raw lemon as well as um, orange. You could squeeze a um, little bit of orange into water and just drink that. Um, but the, the chili peppers are also really beneficial. Well, and well first, Willow, uh, it looks like we have a call. I just okay. want, wanted to mention uh, that, uh, that um, you're, you're talking about uh, the citrus. D-limonene is something that uh, is in all the citrus that's anti-cancer. Mm-hmm. They don't know quite how it works, but it, they, they find that it's uh, anti-tumor. Uh, looks like um, online, too, we have Dennis. Is Dennis with us? Here I am. Hey, Dennis, how are you? Okay. You're speaking with Will Lamont. How are you? Uh, Good. Hey, uh, Miss um, Miss Lamont, I had meant to ask you, uh, well, first off, welcome to Florida. I know what it's like to come down to Florida and have to relearn how to garden. <laughs> Thank you. Although I, I did uh, grow up here. Well, actually, I, I had never lived here before, but I experienced what you described uh, last year coming down here. I inherited... Uh, well, it's my friend's place I'm, I'm living at, and uh, their backyard had just been let go, and they have two oak trees, but it's amazing how well things will grow around the oak trees, yes. but what they have to compost, you know, all the leaves. But I also inherited a lot of ginger, which is interesting. And uh, you described, uh, I think it was Greek oregano? Yes. Is that the same as Cuban oregano? No, uh, Greek oregano is a true origanum species. Um, in the Mediterranean, there are many, many varieties of oregano. Um, Greek oregano is one of the most common oreganos that we um, have in our food. Um, if you get pizza, it's probably Greek oregano that's been added to it. Um, Cuban oregano is uh, a plant that. Um, actually, more related to coleus. It's not in the. It's not an oregano, although oregano and the Cuban oregano are in the same family. It's the same family that mints are in the Labaceae or Lamaceae family. Um, I think Plectranthus is the, the genus. Um, and there's a couple of different varieties of Cuban oregano that grow here. One is variegated with white and green leaves, but the most common one is just nice big green fuzzy leaves. And it grows prolifically. Um, doesn't like the um, the winter cold, especially this past winter when there were a lot of freezes and frosts. But as long as you mulch your tropical plants, and I, I recommend mulching everything, but in terms yeah. of surviving um, freezes, if the roots are mulched um, and they die back, often they can return when the weather warms up again. Well, that that uh, that, that Cuban oregano is that. If it's not the same as the Greek oregano, can it be used much the same as you would regular oregano? A lot of people use it um, as they would use oregano or basil. Um, I have a friend, Rose Collegian, who's a wonderful herbalist in Pasco County, um, and it was through Rose where I first had it, and she makes a great pesto with it. Um, it has a very similar flavor, so use it you know, to, to taste, however you like it. Right. In some of the Caribbean islands, they call it um, uh, broad thyme. Right. Um, so it, it has many different names on the different islands, but um, it can be used as a tea or in pesto or in sauce or however, you know, you like the flavor. I've actually used that. Uh, funny you should mention that. I've actually used it as one of the ingredients in pesto, and everybody's like, what is that ingredient in there? It's different. Yeah, it's got quite a kick to it, doesn't it? Oh, what a kick. Uh-huh. And occasionally um, it will flower, has some uh, lovely little white flowers, and those are also edible, too. Mm-hmm. And it's really fun to eat the flowers of our um, culinary herbs, uh, basil, 
thyme, sage, oregano. Um, all of the blossoms are edible, um, the mint uh, uh, blossoms, anything in that family. And, um, you know, they're, they're really nice in salads or sometimes even in, uh, you know, drinks. Um, you can add them floating on the top. And sometimes I like taking the seeds uh, that after the blooms have dried up and and uh, particularly on the one oregano plant that I got from you, Willow, is that uh, you, you told me to cut it back. It had about five branches and now it has about 20 to 30. And and uh, each one of them has uh, flowers all over it. And uh, I just take off uh, one when it, it dries up and I love nibbling on the on the seeds that have dried up. Uh, is that um Yes, yeah, I mean, you're getting uh, uh, all of the health benefits in the seed, too. You know, it's very, very mm-hmm. potent. Um, but with your Cuban oregano, um, Chris mentioned a good point. Cut that back periodically because it gets very, very tall and leggy, and it'll help it bush out some more. But when you take cuttings from it, you can remove the lower leaves um, and just propagate it um, that way. Just put it in soil or in water, and you'll get a new plant. Well, I've been giving cuttings to just about everybody I can find. <laughs> and they're yeah, like, Dennis. oh, what is that smell? That's great. Give me more. Yeah, Dennis, you gave me one. Uh, you gave me uh, some uh, a piece of ginger. Is that a cutting? Uh, that, that, I think it was, I don't think it was ginger. I think that was turmeric. Turmeric, yeah. So uh, my question would be, how would I plant that willow? Well, turmeric is in the same family that ginger, the edible ginger, is in. And turmeric, you can plant um, the rhizome whole. Um, it does need some shade, and uh, if you have oak trees or shade trees, that's you know the best place to put it under your trees. But again, very very important to mulch. Um, oak leaves are you know one of my favorite ways to mulch, and I have a lot of oak trees, so I'm very lucky. But even if you don't have oak uh, trees on your own property, so many people who do are always um, bagging them up to get rid of them. So if you know that someone hasn't been using lawn chemicals, you know see if they'll right. give you your oak leaves, but you can also use pine straw, hay, um, <clears throat> um, grass clippings um, for mulch. Um, but the ginger is very, very frost sensitive. Um, most of the ginger family dies back during the winter months, and then in the spring, um, the leaves returning again. And, and the turmeric is the earliest to die back and the last to return of all the gingers that I grow. So um, it's a very, very warm, loving plant, but it does grow very easily here in central Florida. Um, Make sure, though, as I said, that you you mulch it so that the rhizomes are protected during the winter and then in the spring you'll get more stems returning. The edible ginger root, though, generally will rot if you just take the rhizome and plant it. What you want to do is look at the rhizome and see where there's a, um, those little bumps and slice the, the root or the rhizome horizontally so that you're getting um, those little bumps on top. Put those in a dish of water for a few weeks until they send out roots and stems and then you plant them. And the best kind of dish to use is, say, the bottom of a terracotta pot. So you want to get the roots started first. and Right, um, of the edible ginger. Mm-hmm. Um, generally they'll rot if you just plant the whole root in the ground. Um, so you, you cut it horizontally, but make sure that you have those little bumps because that's where the stem will start growing. Mm. Have you tried growing the edible ginger um, in your garden, Dennis? Yes, actually. Well, 
I'm not positive what type I had. I had somebody give me some what they call variegated ginger, but I'm not sure if that's necessarily or you know the uh, edible. All I know is what I had to use, so I planted it. It grows. Uh huh. Well, other members of that family that grow very easily here are cardamom, which is also in the ginger family, and the spice comes from the the seed after it's flowered, but the leaves are very fragrant. They have that same scent as the cardamom seed. So while you're waiting for them to flower, and they can take a few years before they flower and seed, um, you can use the leaves of cardamom as a seasoning. It's great in tea, or you can use it to flavor rice or coconut milk soup um, or wrap it um, to to poach things in. Um, There's also the wonderful pine cone ginger, which is in bloom right now. It has this um, little green knobby thing that grows and yep. it turns into a red pine cone looking flower. And there's a wonderful sap inside there that's very, very fragrant. And sometimes it's called lotion ginger or lotion lily. You can squeeze that sap and put it on your face or your skin. It's just very refreshing. Mm-hmm. Um, but in addition, it's very, very healing and it's great for fire ant bites, um, mosquito bites, um, bee stings, wasp stings. Um, when it's in bloom, I use it as a first aid kit in my garden because I'm often getting stung or bit. And it's um, in bloom for many, many weeks during the summer and into the autumn before that ginger dies back. So it's just a really nice first aid ginger to to grow, and it's so beautiful too. Is it tr- is it safe to say that you can harvest? the ginger and turmeric each year and just save a little chunk for next year's growth? Or right. The best time to harvest them is in the autumn after the tops die back. Just dig around and you know, take some of the root and make sure you leave some. Each um, type of ginger that dies back, um, that stem will die back to the ground and then the roots will continue to grow more slowly in the winter, but they, they grow all year round. And when they send up the new stems in the spring, there's always more stems growing than than last year's. And the roots have just continued, or the rhizomes continue to spread. And as long as you always leave some of the rhizome in, it'll just continue to grow. But it's at its most potent after the tops have died back. So um, autumn is a really good time to harvest it. Um, the Gingers that generally don't die back are members of that family, at least in, in my garden, and I'm in zone 9A where I live, are cardamom and the galangal ginger. Um, galangal is used a lot in um, Southeast Asian cooking and Vietnamese and um, Thai cooking. It's a very um, strong, pungent, very earthy kind of ginger with a much bigger root, and the leaves are much taller. When I got my first plant, I didn't realize that they needed shade, so I had it in full sun for over seven years. <laughs> and it blooms every other year, and it's a huge butterfly attractant. They just adore it. Oh, yeah. My uh, my whole backyard now, uh, in a year's time, I've been able to transform it. I ended up, because down here, things like you said, the summer comes and things die off. I learned that the hard way last year, and I made the mistake. I've been using tap water. So I'm going to have to use the Berkey for everything from now on, mm-hmm. and I know that. But out there, it's amazing when you change plants, butterflies everywhere. Yeah. And you were talking earlier about how uh, the mushrooms are a sign 
of, uh, I guess, good bacterial growth? Yes. Um, well, and, and they're always going to grow more in the fertile soil than in the sandy soil. Well, I had taken what was the sandy soil out there. I scraped off all the grass and ended up replacing it with that recycled mulch they have. I know it's not a perfect solution, but I noticed last week, I went out there one morning, and I was startled to look around, and there was mushrooms everywhere, and they were about three inches tall. Hmm. And, and probably after the rains. Now, yeah, it was after the rain. And when I went back out in the afternoon after I got back from work, there was no sign of them anywhere. Well, a lot of them are only open for a day or two. Um, yeah, but, but I mean, I could, there was not even a sign of one shriveled up in the corner. I mean, they were gone. Do you think maybe squirrels um, got them? Because sometimes some of the local wildlife will, will eat the mushrooms. If that's the case, those things had a feast. Because, <laughs> I mean, there was, everywhere I looked, it was, there were... In a square foot, I would probably have 20 or 30 of these things. I mean, the whole backyard was loaded. But when I went out there later in the afternoon, not a one. It was amazing. But that's a sign that you've really got a living soil when, well, when you see the mushrooms. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so, Dennis, um, now that you're going to start using some filtered water, then uh, you also got a, a product that uh, I had run by Willow. And I, I don't know if, Willow, you know about this um, when I mentioned it earlier, Living Earth, but uh, th that's a product that has uh, probiotics. It's a it's a probiotic and um, supposed to be a, a yield boosting uh, product. So uh, that's a that's something that a lot of people have given some good reviews on. And and I've noticed, speaking of basil, that uh, my little Greek mini Yavani basil that's only supposed to grow to six inches is now uh, well over a foot. Mm. And I think that that might have had something to do with it. But uh, other than that, I don't have any any. Uh, you know, I, I, all my all my plants are doing quite well on it, and and um, and if we could get into a little bit more about uh, composting. Uh, well, first, Dennis, did you have any any other questions about uh, what, uh, what you yeah. were discussing the turmeric or the ginger? Actually, uh, yes, um, mm -hmm. this uh, did is it um, regarding turmeric? Mm -hmm. Is there a proper way to, like, take the leaves, is the leaves of the turmeric plant also useful, like the ginger plant is? Can I use those for tea or well, other usage? Um, it's, generally, it's, it's the root that's used, but so many of the, the big leaves of the gingers have many, many functions, and as I mentioned with the cardamom, that you could put that in rice or in tea, so I don't know why you couldn't use the turmeric, but the spice turmeric is the ground-up root. Mm -hmm. And the medicinal properties are probably going to be much stronger in the root, but you could certainly use the leaves to tea. There's no reason not to. It may not have as much of the anti-inflammatory properties that the root does. But some of these big ginger leaves, just like banana leaves, um, around the world people you know, will poach food in, um, you know, wrap, wrap food around and cook it that way. So there's many, many ways to, to use them. Hmm. I've I've actually seen, um, well, I actually have bananas in the backyard, too, so mm -hmm. <laughs> I have all those options available. Um, I actually have white and yellow turmeric, which I was able to pick up from some of the vendors at the flea market nearby. And Are those both that, edible? Are those edible plants, both of them? Mm-hmm. Oh, give me some. Well, 
Well, um, yeah, well, that sounds great, Dennis. Uh, if we could, um, we have a little bit more time here. I'd like to get into composting, but uh, thanks for your, your great uh, comments. And uh, you have a good night. And, um, and Hope I'll to see you at a market, Dennis. Sure. Hey, mm-hmm. when is the best time to harvest that, the turmeric? Um, the autumn is good. When, when the tops start dying back, uh-huh. um, that's one of the best times to harvest your ginger root or, or members of that family. Now, you don't have to use the turmeric um, dried and powdered. Um, you can also just slice it very thinly, use it in stir-fry, make a tea out of it, but you can use it fresh. You can put it in a smoothie you know, or, or juice it. Okay. Um, but uh, turmeric is one of the best anti-inflammatory um, herbs, so it has just so many uses in addition to um, being a good digestive. Bitter, bitter herbs in general are really good digestives, and bitter um, orange-rooted plants are also have a really good effect on the digestive system. Well, thanks for calling. Thank you. Yep. Thanks, Dennis. And uh, yeah, I take ginger, candy ginger, every time I get a little bit a little bit uh, nauseous. But uh, it, would you happen to know, Willow, how to candy ginger at home? Um, it's not something that I've done, but I think basically you would um, slice it very thinly, peel it, and um, put it in a jar with a lot of sugar. But you can also make it um, a honey out of the ginger as well. Um, you know, let it dry for quite some time in the in the sugar, and then um, you know, take it out. I mean, I think that's the traditionally the way that it's done, but I haven't you know experimented with it myself. So it's kind of a drying process, right? Okay. Yeah, I'd like to be able to do that, to uh, be able to preserve it for the future if I'm able to grow a bit of it. Mm-hmm. That's one of the great herbs, in my opinion. But it, it also, because it's a rhizome, it also keeps for quite a few months if you know stored in the dark at the right temperatures. Um, you know, like storing garlic or something like that. Also, oh, you can you can keep it in a in a dark place, maybe wrapped up, or how would you preserve? Or a, like in a refrigerator is good. Okay, great. That's what I've been doing, mm-hmm. uh, at least with the turmeric that that uh, Dennis had given me. Uh huh. Well, if anybody would like uh, to ask any questions about uh, medicinal therapeutic herbs, uh, gardening, composting, um, all these uh, issue beneficial insects, so hopefully we'll touch on all these issues. Mm-hmm. You can reach us here in Pinellas at 727-441-3000. That's 727-441-3000. Toll free, 866-826-1340. That's 866-826-1340. And the Altel free call is star 1340. We're speaking with Willow Lamont, a uh, longtime folk herbalist and longtime uh, organic gardener of over 35 years. Chris, I'd like to mention that starting this coming Tuesday, uh, September 8th through October 13th, I'm going to be teaching a six-week herb class here at my place called Gathering Wisdom from a Flower. Um, it's going to be Tuesday mornings from 10 to 1230 for six weeks with an optional potluck lunch after class. And it'll be emphasizing how to use healing herbs as well as how to grow them here organically in Central Florida. Well, great. That sounds wonderful. And you're, you're holding that there at, at Willow Herbal Garden, uh, pardon me, Willow Herbal Delight Gardens. It's mouthful, yes. Yes. <laughs> and I can also show how, uh, how I garden here, as I mentioned, with using the oak, with compost, um, with different beds where I companion plant um, herbs and vegetables and fruit trees and trees.
tropical edible plants and, you know, kind of mix it all together. And that not only, um, say, makes it more beautiful and has much more biodiversity, but when you companion plant or grow um, herbs with vegetables, with fruit trees, it helps cut down on insect pests. It helps make um, more nourishment in the soil available to the trees, uh, the fruit trees, or makes your vegetable plants um, stronger. There's many, many benefits of companion planting. You know, in nature, nothing grows in straight rows as monoculture. The more biodiversity, the healthier the ecosystem. And that's also a way to, to invite beneficial insects and birds that will eat the harmful insects. Um, also, bird song helps seeds germinate. I mean, the um, old farmer's way of planting hedgerows to invite the birds in and give them food and habitat and shelter um, was very beneficial to the gardens and the farms because then the birds would um, eat the mosquitoes, eat the insects that might eat the crops, um, you know, keep things in check. And very different from the kind of conventional agriculture, especially out in the Midwest where there's acres and acres of just corn or just soy, that leads to more insect infestations because for insects that love corn or love soy, it's an open buffet. Yeah, that, that's amazing about the, uh, I've heard about a product called Sonic Bloom. Have you heard about that? Um, I'm not sure if it's something I've seen in one of my garden magazines or not. It sounds vaguely familiar, but I'm I'm not up on what it's about. Well, I can't vouch for it, but I've heard a lot of people say that it's uh, it's helped their yields. Uh, it's supposed to be um, bird song uh, adapted to music, and ah. and uh, I guess it opens the the uh, stamules or the the pores of the uh, of the plants. Or, I, I don't know exactly how that works, but. Um, I guess sound is also a very important factor mm. for cultivation. And when you consider the millions of years of adaptation between the birds and the plants, you know, you know we, we come along and kind of stumble upon these things, but, you know, they've <clears throat> had this interrelationship for a very long time. Exactly, and everything is, has grown in a, in a perfect harmony. Mm-hmm. And uh, also I wanted to mention another point that you had mm-hmm. made before about the superbugs from the overuse of antibiotics. Um, when I mentioned that some of these herbs um, are much more efficient um, and effective antibiotics, um, but they don't kill the beneficial um, bacteria, but when you consider that the herbs or these plants and the bacteria have coexisted for millions of years, and in that time the bacteria haven't adapted um, to and, and change or mutated to keep up with the plant um, medicine, um, unlike the antibiotics, where the bacteria keep mutating to, to get around them, so you get more of these superbugs. So that's another benefit of using um, antibiotic herbs, um, is that you won't be getting these superbugs through the use, that they've coexisted and not jumped to... Um, to superbugs and all this time. Right. And I would like to recommend to listeners, if they'd like more about this, a wonderful book um, called Herbal Antibiotics by Stephen Herod Buner, who's just a wonderful American herbalist and has some really great books. And he explains the science behind it very well, but he also is very into the, um, the spirit and the heart of the plants as well. 
So he's like a both left brain and right brain kind of a writer. Oh, sounds interesting. Yeah. And, uh, and, um, and it's interesting how nature has come up with so many different uh, solutions to our problems that we have yet to des- devise, and it has these these answers that are just waiting for mm-hmm. us to to uh, get ourselves in trouble, and nature will be there to bail us out again. Mm-hmm. But um, you you uh, also are into very much into uh, safe composting. Can you tell us yes. about that? Yes. Um, as I mentioned, um, for example, with using the leaves and the um, the oak chippings to let them decompose, over time they get this rich microbial life. And when we're composting, what we want is not only a good, rich, um, fertile compost that's going to feed the earthworms, but also that's going to feed the microbial life of the soil. Um, I always compost directly on the ground. And as I mentioned, I'm lucky enough to have trees, so I, I put my compost material directly under my oak trees. Um, that way I don't have to add any products. The earthworms are already there. I don't um, grow earthworms separately. The earthworms are in the soil under the oak trees. Um, the soil microbes and the fungi, the protozoa, they're already there under that rich soil under the oak trees. So what I do is I um, take some of my oak leaves, I start that as the base, and then I add my vegetable and fruit scraps, um, any wild plants that I pull from my garden beds that people call weeds. Um, I generally don't have my lawn mowed at all in the winter, but maybe for one or two times. And if the grass is very tall when I have it mowed after it hasn't been mowed for a long time, then I'll rake that up and add that to my compost. The grass clippings really heat a pile up very quickly. But other than that, I, I let my lawn clippings just decompose in the lawn to feed to feed the lawn. I never water my lawn or, or fertilize it other than let the grass clippings fertilize it and the oak leaves that fertilize it as well. Um, so basically, any green plant material and um, brown plant material like leaves is what you start your compost with. But in addition, I inoculate it with handfuls of that microbial-rich soil from under the oak trees. If you've got an area where mushrooms are springing up um, after rain, take some of that soil, inoculate your compost. That will help break it down quicker because that microbial life is what's going to be feeding on the green and the brown material. Generally, in a compost pile, you need carbon-rich material, which is your brown Um, material like leaves, straw, hay, and the green material, um, plant matter, um, vegetable, uh, fruit um, peelings, um, also egg shells, if you know that the eggs are from naturally raised um, free-range chickens that haven't been fed hormones and antibiotics and um, given a toxic diet. Um, Coffee grounds are good. um, any you know kind of plant matter if you're pulling up weeds or pruning and have you know green plant matter, you get the nitrogen rich from the green matter and the carbon rich from the brown, and that mixture is what um, kind of turns into a, a really good fertile compost. Um, you want to make sure that you have enough liquid in your compost. If it doesn't rain for weeks in the winter, you may need to add water. But if you're cooking um, 
say, potatoes or green beans and you've got extra water and if you're not drinking it or using it otherwise, um, you know, save that for your compost. Um, make sure that it gets enough liquid. Um, in the summer, we don't have to worry about it because there's enough rain. Mm-hmm. And is there, are there things that we should not be adding to exactly. compost? Yes. Um, so those are the kind of things to add. Right. Things that you don't want to add are um, meat, fish, anything with um, heavy oils or fat. Um, and even if it's um, you know good organic vegetable fat, you don't want to add that to compost because um, fats and oils deter seed germination, and they'll also interfere with the composting process. If you have like a little butter or a little oil from a stir fry or something like that, you know that's okay. But you don't want to add large quantities of fats or oil or meat. Mm-hmm. Um, I never put banana peels in unless I know the bananas are grown in Florida. Um, the inside of the banana is fine, but most bananas are um, exported, um, sorry, imported from other countries, and they're very heavily sprayed when they come into the country. So uh, if you know that the bananas are exported, sorry, imported, um, just throw the banana peels in, in the trash. I never put any paper products of any kind in my compost, and I'm a bit of a heretic in this way because almost any organic gardening book or workshop you take will always say, oh, and add paper. But in the paper-making process, there's a lot of caustic materials that are added. Any paper mill um, releases very toxic effluent into the streams, and they pollute them very heavily. So we don't want to trust anything that's been uh, so highly refined as, as paper that's been uh, dyed or bleached. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, well, well we, uh, we, I wish we, the, t- the hour has just flown. I, I hope we can have you back another time. And uh, we appreciate you joining us this evening. Uh, on uh, this is You've been listening to Willow Lamont, a long time a folk herbalist and uh, organic gardener for over 35 years. And Lamont, Willow, you, uh, I hope you have a great evening. Well, thank you so much, Chris. I appreciate, appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much, and uh, and take care. You're welcome. Good evening. Well, you've been listening to the Liberation Station radio show with your host, Chris Steiner. You can see the website at theliberationstation.com. And next week, we'll be talking about 9-11. Was it an inside job? What do you think? All take great care.